Well, good morning, NGU. <clears throat> oh, man. Guys, it is so good to be here with you guys this morning. I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance to whoever's running cameras this morning. I'm a pacer, and so you're going to have to keep up. Just fair warning on that. But guys, it is so good to be back. My name is Chris Bates. I'm a graduate of NGU uh, from back in the day, like 2008. Uh, so it's been a while since I've been here. Um, I graduated with a math degree. Any math degrees in the room? Really? You're lying. You are so lying in chapel right now, and that is not okay. All right, no, math degrees. I have a math degree, and I love it. Um, let me tell you real quick why I wanted to start with that. I wasn't going to um, until I heard who's here on campus with you guys this morning. I want to tell you why I pursued a math degree before I get any further today. I pursued a math degree here at North Greenville because originally I was Christian Studies. It's what I started with in 2003. Uh, but somewhere around about 2004, 2005, I took a semester off, uh, withdrew from school, and actually went through the IMB and uh, traveled and went to Poland and spent six months doing mission work in Poland um, and loved every minute of it. Man, I learned so much about doing ministry, and part of what we did there, we tutored English uh, in some English-speaking universities there um, with the intent that we draw people into one-on-one -on -one conversations outside of those classrooms. Um, and I learned very quickly how beneficial bivocational ministry could be. Um, and so when I came back, I actually switched my degree uh, from Christian studies to math, kept a Christian studies minor. And for the first few years of my ministry after I graduated, that's exactly what I did. I worked bivocationally, taught math uh, in a couple local high schools, and then uh, worked part-time as a youth pastor on, on the side. And so, uh, man, IMB is close to my heart journeyman program. I worked with about four or five journeymen that were there on my team. And so it was just a great uh, way to be there. Um, if you get an opportunity to talk with these guys, make sure you make that a priority uh, this week. Uh, one other little item of business I want to take care of. Um, I am uh, at this point serving as the lead pastor of a church plant uh, on White Horse Road uh, over on the wrong side of Greenville. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, we are on the side of Greenville that most people don't like to talk about. Um, if you've ever used the hashtag, yeah, that Greenville, uh, you're not talking about the side of Greenville I'm from, okay? <clears throat> um, so where we're serving at is in a little community called the Gantt Community. We're about five minutes outside of downtown Greenville, uh, but we are serving in a community that's 91% African American. Uh, that is uh, extreme poverty, low income. Uh, so the average household income around us is about $16,000 a year. Uh, to put that in perspective, if you were go to go over to Traveler's Rest, the average household income there is somewhere in like the fifty dollars to $60,000 range. Uh, so we are in extreme low poverty. Um, most of the housing around us is government housing, Section 8 kind of places. I spend a lot of my time talking with drug dealers and prostitutes, uh, which makes you wonder why I'm up here on the stage, like who's this creep? Uh, but that's where I spend most of my day. Um, and so uh, it's just good to be back here. But why I bring that up is this. Um, and we are in the process of building building a church there um, to minister to the community around us. Um, and God has blessed us in the last several months of, uh, with just with some growth and some amazing things that he's beginning to do through some discipleship focus. Uh, but one of the things that we've been able to do is add two internships to our, uh, our church in the last, uh, in the last month. Uh, one of those, um, you may know this name, I don't know. Does anybody in the room remember this crazy guy named Joel Bell? 
Yeah, ah, Joe Bell. Uh, so if you don't know Joe Bell, Joe Bell was the captain of the football team here uh, last year, so not the 2020 season, but 2019. He graduated in May of 2020. Um, he has just started an internship with us in the last couple weeks, um, and so he's going to spend about six months with us uh, working on getting some, uh, some programs initiated with the local schools and a couple other pieces that he's going to be helping us along with. There's a second guy, though, that we've brought on as an intern, and he's actually in this room. Uh, so Duncan Henderson, where you at, bud? He told me he was going to be over there. There he is. So see Duncan way back there? Yeah. Duncan is a good buddy of mine. I've gotten to know him in the last year or so. Um, and God is just doing some really cool things through Duncan. If you don't know him, uh, you need to memorize the mask that he's wearing today. And because I can't say face, but memorize his mask and track him down. Just look for the man bun and uh, you'll find him. Okay. Uh, but Duncan Henderson's a freshman here. He's joined us uh, and in an internship. And I want to let you know what Duncan is working on. Uh, Duncan is actually working on two things for us. He's serving on our worship team, helping lead worship each Sunday morning um, and doing a bang up job on that man, doing just an awesome job. Uh, but the second thing that I've asked him to care for for us is our college ministry and how we're loving on people like you. Um, and so one thing that we're doing is starting in April, uh, we are going to be launching a college ministry for uh, college students from North Greenville, from Anderson. We're kind of pegged right in the middle between you guys. Um, and so we would love for you to come be a part of that. Um, if you would like to get information about that ministry and how you can plug in with it, um, I'm going to give you an email address. If you miss it, it's okay. Just go back, watch the live stream, uh, and you can get it from there. But it's just real simple. It's my name, Chris, at FamilyGateChurch.com, or... You go find Duncan after chapel today, and you say, hey, man, I want to learn about what y'all are doing. Uh, but one piece that we're going to kick off with is we are actually partnering with a group of students here from North Greenville who go into downtown Greenville each week uh, and do homeless ministry there. Um, and so we're putting together some hygiene kits. Um, and when we launch in April with a date to be determined, uh, we will be taking those hygiene kits into downtown Greenville and hand delivering those to some of the homeless people that are there in downtown. And so if you'd like to jump in on that, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Connect with Duncan, uh, or you can send me an email, chris at familygatechurch.com. All right, cool. That's all the business stuff. So let's get into God's word. If you got a Bible with you this morning or a Bible app, I want to challenge you to have it in front of you and open it up to Joshua chapter Five. Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to be. I'm going to give just a slight backstory to this. Um, I actually preached this sermon to our congregation on Sunday morning, and I'm not a guy who likes repeating sermons. I'm a guy who's constantly looking for a fresh word from God and wanting to go back to his word and learn and grow. Uh, but I'll be honest, as I sat down and started praying over what I was going to talk about this morning, um, I sat down at my dining room table with a blank stare over God's word and just had nothing. Um, and so I literally opened up the front cover of my Bible and I started in Genesis 1 and I just flipped pages, just asking God to deliver a message to my heart that I could deliver to you guys. And I made it all the way to the end of the book of Revelation and it was crickets. And I was like, all right, God, what are you doing? And uh, the phrase that God kept repeating in my heart was between the miracles, between the miracles, between the miracles. Um, that was the title of the message that I preached on Sunday morning. Um, and so I am backing up, and I'm going to reuse uh, this message for you guys. Uh, but I can already tell you why I think God has directed us there. Um, as we look at Joshua 5, a lot of my message is going to tie directly to the song that we just sang. Now, we didn't plan that. I don't know either of the two people that were up here leading worship, although they were great, weren't they? That was amazing. Um, 
But I don't know either two of them, and I didn't plan anything ahead of time with them, but that song, the Exodus song that they sang, man, goes right along with what we're going to be talking about this morning. So Joshua chapter 5, um, I'm going to read. <clears throat> Here's my philosophy on Scripture. I don't have anything better to say to you this morning than what God already said in his word. Okay? So when I read this passage, I'm going to read a large chunk, and I need you to do me a favor. I need you to not zone out on me because God's word is more powerful than anything I'll say to you today. So pay attention as we go through it, study it with me, read over it with me, and just know that I'm going to probably read the whole chapter. All right, so here we go. Joshua chapter 5 says this. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at this place called Gibeath Haraloth. And I'm not pronouncing that right because I didn't take Greek or Hebrew. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see that land. The Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place. That Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of this place will be called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him uh, and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray together. God, as we study your word this morning and as we look at Joshua chapter 5, God, I pray that you would use it in a mighty way in our lives, God. And it seems like such an odd chapter to read. Uh, there's a lot of just random things going on in there, God. But I know that you have a message for us this morning out of that word, and God, I pray that you would use it in our lives, that you would drive it down deep into our hearts, that you would push past the distractions and the junk that has built up in there over the last few days, um, and God, that you would allow your word to penetrate to the deepest parts of who we are, that we would apply it and we would become the people of God we've never been before. God, we love you and we praise you for all that you're going to do, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 
All right, I want to talk to you about this idea of living between the miracles, and here's what I mean by that. Um, Joshua chapter 5, as I prayed, is a super random chapter. I don't know if you caught on to that, but as I was reading through it, there's really like four different stories that get told in the course of Joshua chapter 5, and none of them seem to fit together. They're all just kind of random uh, just circumstances, one about circumcision, and one about the Passover, and one about manna being stopped, and one about this random dude who shows up with a sword in his hand and claims to be the Lord of God's army, right? Like there's just all these random things that are going on. But to understand what's happening in Joshua 5, I want to let you know what happened in Joshua 4, and I want to let you know what's going to happen in Joshua 6. So if we were to back up and look at Joshua chapter 4, here's what's happened leading up to this moment. Joshua 3 and 4 tells the story of the Israelites coming out of the wilderness and being at the banks of the Jordan River. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They have been there because they refused initially to be obedient to God's call to take the land of promise. And so God said, all right, you're going to hang out in the wilderness for a little while until you can learn your lesson, and then I'll bring you right back. And so they, they find themselves in Joshua 3 and 4 encamped on the banks of the Jordan River, and they, they stay there for three days staring at this flooded, massive, crazy body of water. And God comes to Joshua and he says, all right, Joshua, here's how this is going to go down. I want you to tell the priests to grab the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of my presence. And I want you to tell them to walk out into the water. And as soon as the soles of their feet touch that water, you're going to see a miracle happen. And the people are going to walk across the river on dry ground. I'll give you a spoiler alert here. That's exactly what happens. They walk up to the Jordan after three days of being encamped there. The priests walk out as soon as the first toe touches the water 20 miles upstream. The Jordan River stops in its place, and the Israelite nation walks across the Jordan on dry ground. Now, they find themselves in the promised land, but while they're in the promised land, let's skip forward to Joshua chapter 6, there's this first city that they're going to have to face. God didn't promise them the promised land without a little bit of trial and difficulty. And so he says, all right, you're going to have to go, and I'm going to give you this stuff, and I'm with you, but you're going to have to go get it, and the first place you're going to have to go is this walled city named Jericho. Now, if you've been in church at all in your life, you probably know the story of Jericho. They march around it for seven days, and on the seventh day, they do it seven times, and then they blow these horns and these trumpets, and the walls of Jericho tumble down, and the Israelites are able to go through and literally take captive the city of Jericho without ever having to lift a sword. It's a pretty powerful story. But Joshua 5 falls right in between these two miracles. The miracle of the Jordan River ceasing, and Jericho's fall. And in the midst of this, uh, in, the, in the middle of these two miracles, we find just a random story of four encounters that the Israelites have and that Joshua has with God. And, and I wonder why it is that God chooses, because here's, here's my thing about Scripture. I don't think that there's any dot or period or, or sentence that's there or word that's there that wasn't placed there intentionally by God to teach us something. And so what does Joshua chapter 5 want to teach us this morning about living between the miracles? And so I want to give you four things that I believe Joshua chapter 5 exists to teach us. The first one is this. God commands Joshua to go circumcise a bunch of dudes. Now, if you're a guy in the room, you might have just tensed up a little bit. That's not a word we like to talk about too much. 
But let me just give you the rundown real briefly on what it is. We could back up to Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 11, and we could see the first command that was given to Abraham to circumcise his children. And here's how that looked. God came to Abraham and he gave him a promise. He said, look, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Uh, I'm going to bless the whole world through your name. Uh, I'm going to give you a bunch of descendants. It's going to be incredible. And and I'm going to give you a promised land. And that promised land is this place called Canaan. And he promises that to Abraham, and he says, it's going to happen. You can bank on it, but I want to give you a symbol to make sure that you will always remember my promise. And he says, I want you to go through, and I want you to circumcise every male child after you on their eighth day of birth, their eighth day of life. Go and circumcise them, and that will be a symbol to the coming generations that I am a faithful God who will keep my promises. Now, I don't know why God chose that symbol. I'm kind of like, God, could you not have just, like, given us a tattoo? Could you have, like, told us to have, like, a secret handshake? Like, what, like why does it have to be that? But I, what, for whatever reason, that's just where God went with it, and we got to roll with it, right? So God gives this symbol, and the Israelites follow through with that all the way up until they find themselves in the wilderness for 40 years. And in the wilderness over the course of those 40 years, for some reason or another— the Israelites stopped circumcising their children. They forgot the promise. Even in the midst of 40 years of being taught to to obey God and that God was going to be faithful to them if they would just be obedient, even in the midst of that, they still lost sight of the symbol of God's promise. And so one of the first things God says to Joshua is, he says, man, listen, remind them that I am faithful. He says, man, while you were in the desert, the the generation who had been circumcised passed away, and a new generation of men have arisen who are fighting battles for me and are doing these amazing things like stepping into the water, boldly out in faith, assuming that God is going to stop the river upstream. He said, that's wonderful, but I need you to pick back up the symbol that reminds you that I am faithful. Their first encounter in between the miracles that we all need to remember is this. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He's a man of his word. And so here's my thing for you today. If you're living life between two miracles, let me define what that means as we go through the rest of this. What I mean by that is, man, you've seen God do some really cool things in your past, and you know that God has taken you somewhere in your future. But right now, right now maybe you feel a little bit lost. Right now, maybe you feel a little distracted. Right now, maybe you feel like, man, God's not really up to a whole lot in my life. Right now, I've got it on autopilot, and I'm just kind of coasting. Right now, I've been going to school to get my Christian studies degree, and man, I can tell you about some amazing things that happened when I was in high school in my youth group and how it just transformed my life, and I know that God has a plan for me, and I'm not doubting that one bit, but right now, I've been at school for three years, and man, I just feel dry. I feel lost. I feel confused. I don't have purpose. I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not sure what God is up to in my life. I don't know why he won't bless me with these things that I'm praying for, or I don't know why I'm struggling where I'm struggling, or these classes that I'm taking don't even make any sense to me, or whatever. You're living life between the miracles. And what God says to you this morning is, hey, remember my faithfulness. I'm a promise keeper. And I will see it through. That's the first thing that I want you to remember from the encounter of Joshua 5. But there's a second story 
Beginning in verse 10, he talks about this Passover, and it's just uh, really just like two verses that they talk about where it says, man, they, they stopped and they celebrated Passover, and then they just kind of move on with life. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute, why is that there? Why is it there that in Joshua 5, in between the miracles, the people celebrated Passover? Now, we could back up again, and we could back all the way up to Exodus chapter 12, and we could see why the, the feast of Passover, the celebration of Passover became a thing. Hopefully you know this story, but if you don't, I would encourage you to go back and read Exodus chapter 12. I don't have a whole lot of time this morning to take you there, so let me just recap it as briefly as I can. Moses has gone before the Pharaoh nine times and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And the Pharaoh has hardened his heart and said, no, 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 no. And so Moses comes back uh, to the Pharaoh one last time, and he says, Pharaoh, um, God has told you today... <laughs> to let his people go. And if you choose not to do that, the last plague is going to be more severe than any of the other ones that you've experienced. So this last plague is one that we don't like to talk about very often because it seems very cold and dark of God to do this. But he comes to Pharaoh and he says, listen, there's going to be a death angel that passes through Egypt tonight and he's going to take the firstborn son of every family. Pharaoh hardens his heart even more. Nah, man, that's not going to happen. I don't believe you. I got free slave labor right here. I'm not giving these guys up just because you threatened me with some death angel. What are you talking about? He kicks him out. That night, Moses goes to the Israelites, and he says, listen, we're not exempt from this. That death angel is going to pass through Egypt, and we're living in Egypt, so that death angel is going to come to our house too. But God has given us a way to avoid the consequence of this death angel. And it looks like this. Go find your best lamb. Make sure it's without blemish. Not some sickly one, not some uh, one that you were already planning on putting down anyway, but find your best lamb and sacrifice him. And then I want you to take the blood of that lamb, and I want you to spread it on the doorpost of your door. So go up the side and across the top and down the other side, and here's what will happen as the death angel sweeps across Egypt tonight. If he comes to a door that has the blood of the lamb covering its doorposts, he will pass over your home, and you will be protected from death itself because God is a protector and provider. And so he comes to the Israelites, and he says, listen, I'm going to protect you. And it happens exactly as Moses told the people. They go, they sacrifice their lambs, they spread the door, uh, the blood on the doorposts, and the angel of death sweeps through, and, and all of the firstborn sons of Egypt die that night. But the Israelites were protected, and from that day forward, every year they celebrated the Passover feast to remember how God saved them and protected them from the consequence of death that night including the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness, they celebrated the Passover. And it is no accident that when they find themselves living between the miracles, the time of the Passover just happens to come up. They find themselves living in this in-between moment, not knowing where God is taking them, living in fear of this walled city of Jericho. They can see it in the distance where they're camped on the side of Jordan, and they're looking at their families going, man, I don't want to go into battle, and I don't want my children to see this, and I don't want to lose family members and friends, and so I'm going to be really careful, but, but man, I'm, just, I'm scared, and I don't know what to do. And, and right in the middle of that, they pause to remember the protection of God. See, the second thing that I think God was showing the Israelites and the second thing he's teaching us is that God will always protect 
his people. If you find yourself living in the middle of the miracles today, know that you live under the wing of protection of a God who's bigger than anything you could ever face. He's stronger than any sin that has taken hold in your life. He's bigger than anything you face in your family. He's bigger than any trial or circumstance that you face in your classrooms or your grades or your job or your sport or whatever it may be, X, Y, Z, fill it in. God is bigger than all of those things, and he has promised you his protection, and he has said, I am with you. And, man, the Israelites, man, thankfully to them, man, they had a yearly moment where they were reminded of that. And I wish we still did it, to be honest. Uh, We do it a little bit through this idea of Easter, but man, they had this bigger feast, man. It wasn't just a one day, one, one church uh, service on Sunday morning and, uh, and an Easter egg hunt to remind them, man. It was, no, I mean, it was like a week-long feast of just remembering how God had protected his people, and man, we need to be reminded of that today. I got to move on, though. There's a third story here, and it ties right into that idea of the Passover. He talks about They celebrated the Passover, and then right in verse 11, there's a random story, and it says this. It doesn't seem to fit with the rest. It says, in the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. What in the world does that mean? All right. The Israelites, death of the firstborn son for the Egyptians. Pharaoh finally comes to Moses and says, get your people out of here. They leave. They find themselves at the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. He pursues them. God performs a miracle, parts the Red Sea, and the people cross over into the wilderness. But they get there, and they very quickly find out that it's not a wilderness like you and I think of wilderness. It's not some forest somewhere where there's lots of, like, shrubs and bushes and things that we could probably eat and berries and creeks and streams and all. No, man, we're, we're in the desert. And they very quickly find that resources are very thin. Food and water are not easy to come by. So they begin to freak out. Maybe we should have just stayed in, in Egypt, man. At least there we got three meals a day. And, and, and yeah, we were slaves, but man, we had a place to live and our family was okay. And we didn't have to worry about food and water and all these crazy things. And, and God comes and he speaks through Moses and he says this, man, I'm going to provide for my people in the midst of this thing. And so he says, listen, I'm going to perform a miracle every day for the next 40 years of your life. I'm going to give you quail to eat at night, and I'm going to give you this thing called manna in the morning, which is basically a bread-like substance that just happened to miraculously appear on the ground every single morning for 40 years. And so the Israelites are, are, are listening to this, and they're like, no, that ain't going to happen. And, and God says, all right, but I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to make it happen. You're going to get the quail. You're going to get the manna. You'll eat meat at night and bread in the morning, and it's going to be great. But here's my deal. My deal is this. I want you to come to me for your daily provision. I want you to come to me for your daily nourishment. So here's, here's my deal. You can pack up as much of that stuff, the quail and manna, as you can eat in one day. But if you pack up more than what you can eat in one day, I, it, it just won't work. So don't do it. Just trust me. Come to me for your daily bread, right? And I will provide for your needs today. And so the people are like, all right, cool. Let's see. So the first day, there's a couple of people who decide, I don't really trust this God of ours. (laughs) So they pack up a bunch of extra manna into some sacks. More than they can eat that day. The next morning rolls around and they go to open up that sack of stored manna that they had kept from the day before. And the scriptures say that it was rotten and there were worms all in it. And God said, no, 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 no. Trust me. 
I'm going to provide for you. And for the next 40 years, that is exactly what God does. Now, I watched a video uh, a couple weeks ago. I've been trying to get back in shape. Can y'all tell? No? Okay, cool. Um, so I've been uh, doing some uh, videos and stuff, trying to just, like, encourage myself. Jewel Bell, by the way, is amazing at this. He sends me videos, like, every three days of him at, like, 4.30 in the morning working out at a gym somewhere in the dark. And I'm like, what are you doing? Go to sleep. Um, but he encourages me every single day to, like, be in it and be after it. And, man, he's been a super, super uh, um, a sounding block for me to just kind of Mm, get, get moving, get motivated, right? And so I've been watching these videos, and I came across this video the other day of these two guys who are way buffer than I'll ever be, and they challenged themselves for the sake of YouTube subscribers to do a week of eating only chicken and broccoli, okay? Every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, chicken and broccoli, chicken and broccoli, chicken and broccoli. And I'm like, dudes, I'm sorry, but no amount of six-pack, eight-pack, 12-pack, 15-pack is worth it to me to eat chicken and broccoli for every single meal for a week straight. I couldn't do it. But I was watching these guys, and like by day three, these guys who were experienced in this like training and fitness stuff, by like day three, they're miserable. Like they are just ugh, frustrating. You can see it on their face. They just look exhausted. They're not doing good, right? Because it was the same stuff over and over and over again. I would get so sick and tired of chicken and broccoli. And yet for 40 years, not seven days, 40 years, God provided for the people of Israel with the same meal every single day. And even though it was monotonous, and even though it was on repeat, and even though it was so frustrating, man, God met every need that they had when they had it. And the day that the Israelites made it into Canaan and looked up and went, huh, there's some grapes over there. Let's try a grape. Keep in mind, these people were born in the wilderness. They didn't know anything different than, than manna and quail. There's a grape. Let me try that. Oh, man, there's some honey. Let me dip that grape in some honey. Does that? No, that ain't good. Let's not try that, right? So they're like trying all this stuff, and they're excited about the variety of foods that are there. But literally, God says, hey, man, the moment that they ate of that food, the manna from heaven stopped. What does that speak to me? What that says to me is this. God had a plan to provide for them to the very month, day, hour, and second everything that they would need until they got to a place where they could sustain themselves. And the moment they got to a place where provision could come from something else, God went, cool, you got it now? Ding, you're good now. So what does that mean to us living between the miracles today? What does that mean for us? It says this, man, when you find yourselves living between the miracles and you're going, where is God and how is he loving me? God is there for you providing every step of the way and there's not a thing you will ever need that God will not provide right on time in your life. Every moment of every day, he will provide at just the right moment. God is sovereign. You can trust this God. Last thing, very quickly. The last thing, and I wish I had more time to talk through this because it's, it's a really incredible encounter, but the last encounter is this. Joshua uh, says he's kind of scoping out Jericho a little bit, kind of examining the walls again, and he comes across this guy who's standing there with a sword in his hand. Now, if I came across a dude with a sword in his hand, my first reaction would not be, hey, let me go talk to this guy. 
Okay? My first reaction would be, what kind of nutcase is standing in front of me? I'm going to walk on this side of the road, right? Like, I'm going to do whatever I can. But Joshua, being way more of a man than I am, walks right up to this dude, and he's like, all right, bud. Hey, I got a question for you, sir. Are you for me or are you against me? Are you with the Israelites or are you from Jericho trying to scope us out? And Joshua's like ready for battle, man. Like he's, he's geared up, man. He, he's, he's psyched, man. He's like, man, if you're for me, cool. We're good. We're good. But you're, if you're against me, man, like it's about to go down. And he gets up in this dude's face. I'm like, what are you doing, Joshua? And, and the guy's response is just as strange as Joshua's actions. This, this person that Joshua doesn't even understand yet, he comes up to him, he says, man, are you for me or against me? And this guy responds, and he just simply says this, no. And I can imagine Joshua's initial reaction where he's like, uh, hold up, man. <laughs> you didn't answer my question. I said, are you for me or against me? No is not an option. I gave you two options. You're with me or you're against me. No doesn't work in that. But this wonderful being that Joshua doesn't quite understand yet looks back at him and says I'm the Lord or I'm the commander excuse me I'm the commander of the Lord's army and I'm here now Joshua is scoping out the land of Jericho and in that moment he encounters God and God says I'm here now I'm ready See, Joshua's initial reaction was, are you for me or against me? And really the root of that question is this. Are you on my side or are you on their side? So I want to challenge us when we live between the miracle, between the miracles. Sometimes we get caught up in that. Are they for me or are they against me? Are they on my side or are they on somebody else's side? And sometimes we even ask God that question. God, are you for me or are you against me? best way that I can illustrate this is to talk about sports. I played soccer when I was here. Um, you can't tell it now, but back in the day, um, I was in decent shape, played soccer, and uh, had a good time doing it. But one of the things that I always found ironic about most sporting events was that both teams would be kneeled down on the sidelines before the game, praying for victory for their team. God, we love you, and we praise you for this wonderful day. We pray your protection on us. Keep us safe. And God, bring us the win. Yeah! And I'm imagining God in heaven going, you think I care about who wins this game today? And whose side is God really going to be on? If he picks this team, does that mean God doesn't care about that team? You got Christians on both sides of this thing. And we're asking God, God, which side are you on? Are you on my side or their side? And if you're on my side, God, give us the victory today. And when we lose, it's like, well, I guess God just wasn't with us today. And when we go before God, I can just imagine him just like the commander of the Lord's army standing there going, am I for you or against you? No, it's not about your side. It's about mine. It's about my side and you being with me and I'm here now and the Israelites were going to go conquer Jericho because not because of their power or their might, but because of God's power and God's might. It had nothing to do with their side. It had everything to do with being on God's side in this moment. And you can take that however you want to. We could expand this outside of sports and we could go to things like politics. Y'all want to talk about politics for a second? Mm, hold tight. We go, God's with me, I'm a Republican. He's not with them crazy Democrats over there. And then we got Christians over here in the Democrat pool. God's on my side, and he's going to give us the victory, and I don't know where y'all are at. 
And we pray to God and we say, God, give us the victory, give us the win, and, and, and we'll know that you're on our side when we get the victory. And, and then God looks at us and he goes, I'm not on one of those sides. You better get on mine. And so whichever side of the political side you want to fall on, and I don't really care, but whichever side you want to grab hold of, you better make sure that it is not the side of Republican or Democrat, but that it is on the side of God. And we could take it beyond politics. I could keep going all day long. And I could give you more and more examples of how we do that, but that's just the most practical, easy one to go to. But you better figure out where God's side is and quit asking him to give you the victory on your side and start asking God to win the victories on his. The last thing that God chooses to teach the Israelites is this. He said, I'm a faithful God. I protect my people. I give you exactly what you need when you need it. Get on my side. This morning, if you're living between the miracles, I want to challenge you with those same things. God says to you this morning, I'm faithful to you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. Get on my side. I want to pray for you this morning. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the message of your word through Joshua chapter 5. God, thank you for its meaning and its purpose in our lives. God, we pray wholeheartedly that you would use it. Again, God, just to penetrate to the deepest parts of who we are. God, use it in our lives to transform us from the inside out. Remind us when we live between the miracles, God, that you are faithful to us. You will protect us, God. You will provide for our needs. But all of that is contingent on one thing and one thing only, God, us being on your side. God, help us to know and understand what that means. Help us to apply that to our lives and help us to pursue you, God, with all that we are. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.